Hi, Diane. Are you there? I'm here, Marie. How are you? Wonderful. How are you doing? Good. You know, I think we're recording right now. Yeah, okay. That's a good thing. I think it says recording. So. Okay. Great. You want to start us out? Well, one thing I was thinking, uh, I had, um, we've been cousins all of our lives. So we've been talking and dropping knowledge to each other. So I thought it was a good idea that we start a podcast. And so we are cousins who are dropping knowledge. So what we want to do in the first podcast is kind of basically introduce ourselves um, to to our audience and also maybe even to ourselves. We think sometimes you know your family members, but sometimes you really don't. So we're going to kind of dig deep, deeper. And so I'm going to ask Marie some questions. We're going to kind of play ping pong and she'll ask me kind of the similar questions. But I want to first start with you, Marie, and kind of tell me um, a little bit about yourself, um, where you are right now, um, what are some of your interests, and where you want your future to look like. Wow, that's a lot of questions, Diane. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to start out with the name that I chose to use for, for this podcast, um, okay. Marie Richardson because I could have used a lot of other names, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm using Marie because that is actually my name, and that's Mm -hmm. what you call me. Mm -hmm. Um, But somehow that Marie changed to Maria, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the name that's really on all my other documentation except my birth certificate. So my passport, my license is Maria, but my birth certificate says Marie, right? And um, I don't know if you know this, but I was named by the nurse in the hospital after Marie Antoinette. Wow. Okay. That's where I, I got the, I that, that name from. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm also going to use my maiden name, Richardson. I just have more an affinity to that than I do my married name. So that's, that's why I chose the name Marie Richardson. So that's what's comfortable for me on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad that we're doing this um, because you're right. We talk all the time and for hours and hours, but you know, my real interest is making sure that when, when not only when I leave, but when other people leave this earth, they leave something behind, you know, some sort of legacy that others that can help other people to make sense of the world. So this may be one way to do that. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy to be able to be a part of that. Um, so, I mean, that's a little bit about me and why I'm doing this. So I'll ask you the same questions. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Diane, what your interests are and, you know, what you hope for the future. Well, during this a COVID season, um, I've been looking into Ancestry.com because they said that, you know, if you know who you are, you can you can basically be a good or better person or even know who you are, just knowing who you are. So I want to talk about the connection between Marie and I. We're cousins. We're not play cousins. We're real cousins. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Our mothers were sisters, and they both grew up in Danville, Virginia, both born in the probably late or mid-30s. Both of them are passed on. And uh, when I was looking at our ancestry, um, we are from the wholeness family, and some is holderness, holiness. We so to me, just having the name wholeness or holiness, holiness, and holderness 
those are the three pronunciations and spellings. But our great, uh, our connection, I didn't really know my our grandmother Inez Holness and our, our grandfather's mm -hmm. name, Fred Holness, but I knew Hampton, I didn't know Hampton Holness. So Hampton Holness was our great grandfather and Narcissus okay. Holness was his, was his wife. And mm -hmm. Hampton Holness was born in 1882 and, um, and Narcissus Holness was born around the same time, like 1882, 1883. And, mm -hmm. they, and their grandparents, their uh, Hampton Holness father brought his mother, who was Elsa Roan, uh, his name was John Holderness. He bought his wife for $1,000 uh, to marry her and get her out of freedom. So Maria and I come from, uh, um, if you raised $1,000 in 1860-something, to buy your wife, you must have been a very industrious person, John Holderness. And also that he believed that she had value, uh, Elsa, uh, Elsa Holderness, that she had value. So we come from a woman um, who had value. So a little bit about me, I, when I started learning about my past, it made me realize that I come from a people um, who had value. And so um, I kind of, have done my life like that, that I'm learning that I'm valuable and I'm learning that I have value and that I bring value. Um, so I've been, I'm from Danville, Virginia, but I spent a, probably the bulk of my life in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. So um, I think that Danville uh, birthed me and molded me, but DC uh, kind of refined me and the, D, the, D, the DMV refined me. Um, I, I've had many jobs and many opportunities here. And so I'm grateful to be a part of the past uh, for my ancestors from um, the holderness and the wholeness. But also I'm excited about the future, even in this COVID season. So that's kind of hopefully gives me a look at my past and Marie's past also, because we are real cousins who are dropping knowledge <laughs> <laughs> as well as <laughs> our future. So, Marie, what I want to ask you, because you and I talk a lot and been talking a lot uh, for years. And um, one of the things I like to explain when I um, when I came to college at Hampton University, and me, Marie's from Hampton, uh, Marie mm -hmm. was 11 and I was probably 17 or 18 at the time. So right. so uh, I remember her as a little girl who um, who uh, hung out with teenage girls, me and her sisters. And so I'm sure that. Um, she had to grow up fast or wanted to grow up fast to be around a lot of bigger, older girls. And so, mm -hmm. Marie, because of that, you probably, to me, you were like an old soul as a little kid because mm -hmm. um, you had to, you were around bigger, older kids. You were the youngest in your family. So right. did that influence, um, I think I remember one thing when you was little, you even wanted to be on the football team or you were playing football and broke your leg. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I still have a crooked leg because of that <laughs> and so uh, so that to me it means that you're one of those alpha you were alpha little girl now you're you are alpha probably an alpha woman and so uh, tell us a little bit about um, you know your kid why would a little girl want to play football and also actually get hurt so that means you were very you were playing aggressively <laughs> And then how did that lead to things in high school and your career choices as you grew up? 
You know, that is so funny. You should ask that question. You know, I, I think about that a lot, being the youngest of uh, the family of six, you know, brothers and sisters. And for me, what I always looked at is I looked up to them and I looked at the things that they did well. And then I looked at the things they didn't do so well. And I stayed away from those things they didn't do well. Um, and I gravitated towards the things that they did. Um, and one of the things that I learned was about, you know, never being afraid to try mm -hmm. something new. And the football experience was we were playing first, we were playing tag football with boys and girls and the boys were really upset because I was doing so well. And they said, well, you wouldn't be doing so well if we weren't playing tag. So let's play tackle football. <laughs> and so I said, not a problem. I can handle that. So I, I remember catching the football. I still remember the guy who tackled me, broke my leg in three places. And I am not kidding you, Diane. I looked at him and I said, I'm still better than you. And I walked home. I walked home on a broken leg. I walked home on that broken leg in pain, but I still walked on that broken leg. <laughs> now, I was in the hospital for a week after that. But, but you know, I think, I think that did make me, you know, the kind of person that I am today, which is I'm not going to shy away from a challenge. I'm going to look at the other person and say, if they can do it, I can do it too. Uh, and, and I kind of look at, you know, people in our family like that. That's just kind of who we are. We're people who, you know, if you challenge us, we're going to rise up to meet the challenge. Um, and so that for me, you know, we can talk forever about the jobs that I've had. And I think that's that's a whole nother episode of all of our jobs combined that we can kind of talk about that. Um, but I appreciate you asking me about that, you know, about my childhood and how that impacted me and the person that I am. Um, so I'd like to ask you the kind of the same question um, about some of the things that happened in your childhood growing up in Danville, because uh, I went to Danville a lot and our know, family did visiting, but I didn't live there um, in my teenage years. So I wanted to ask you, what were some of the things that impacted you growing up in Danville well, that made you the person that you are? Well, you know, when you were talking about playing football with the, and, and not afraid of tackle football, I thought about my childhood as a little, as a little girl brought up in Danville that I also play sports too. And it, re mm -hmm. and it reminded me that the way, the reason I know to play sports that most people think their fathers taught them. My mother's taught my mother taught me how to hit a ball, how to kick a ball, how to play sports. She actually came out there and play with us. And so when I, when my brother and I were growing up, my brother and I used to play um, basketball in the house with a sock and a trash can. And, <laughs> and so, um, and so, you know, and when you had to take the sock and like, if you pump your hand three times, that's a dribble. If you stop pumping your hand, that means you're double dribbling. If you start it again, and so he taught me how to play basketball in the house with a sock. And so, by t so when we got a, a court across the field from our house, we would go out. He would be playing with big boys. He might have been in the fourth or fifth grade. And he would play with high mm -hmm. school boys. And so when he mm -hmm. would come in the house, he, of course, he wanted to challenge me to what he's learned. And so he was my second coach. My brother taught me how to play sports. So we went to uh, public parks. 
This is how we played sports. He said, my brother said, me and my sister would challenge anybody. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was thinking, so some things are kind of maybe uh, innate or come with the package of being family members because I saw I always, I played sports too. And, but I had mm-hmm. uh, great coaches, Mama and David, to teach me um, sports. And, uh, and I remember when we were growing up, my parent family it was only one television in the house back then that when we look we also watch sports you know my father my brother and I my mother didn't she was always cooking or clinging or sleeping or you know she wasn't into it and so I was thinking that I told people that I know how to play most sports and I think playing uh-huh. most you know from tennis to golf to baseball to ba- I understand most sports I know the rules of most sports and so I think being a, a sports, looking at sports, playing sports, participating in sports, it makes you uh, have a competitive edge. Uh, I tell, I, 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 kind of, I think I'm a passive aggressive uh, sports person because um, I tell people I don't worry about winning. I just enjoy the game. But in my mind, I do. In my spirit, in the deep, I do want to win. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm competitive. And I try to outthink not only just out. I'm older now, I, you know, not, I don't play that many sports, but when I was playing sport, not to just play sports, but out this, but, but kind of out maneuver the strategy, the strategy of, it. of it. And, um, mm-hmm. but then I look at my, I think about even your nieces and uh, who actually has played for major universities. And, um, and I look at my niece now who grand niece, who's like 14 or 15 and she plays everything, you know, she's not great at everything, but she plays basketball, she plays um, mm-hmm. a, a softball. She's on the volleyball team. She's getting better at volleyball. And I was thinking, so maybe that aggressive sports, athletic, you know, I want to win. I'm better than you. Let me, you know, let me add it. It's a part of who we are also. And so that's why I was saying right. when, um, when we started this, we're going to learn stuff about ourselves that we haven't told each other. But to me, it's, it, we haven't told it, but it's very apparent that you were the little girl that wanted to play football. I think I was a little girl who played football. I know I was a little girl who played football too. And, um, mm-hmm. and I remember when I got like 12 or 13, my parents was hoping that I would give up, you know, wanting to play sports, you know, just, you know, just be girly and, right. and enjoy, um, you know, whatever girls do, you know, you know, and I think what I took on then is just trying to be smart uh, trying to read and be good in school and be academically prepared for my life in the future. So, right. and so um, one of the things I want, since you talked about, um, you know, uh, being a sports person also, uh, also not being afraid of getting hit, you know, like to, to get hit, <laughs> to play tackle football, you actually, I like a little tag football myself. I don't like being tackled. But, um, so from that, so you, so one thing, when you're not afraid to get hit, that means you're not afraid to uh, go into obstacles. What are some of the, your biggest hurdles or obstacles that you have faced um, in, from kids to now? You know, you can name a couple for me. You know what, Diane, I kind of look at that when, I, when you just said that. I think about it wasn't so much that I wasn't afraid to get hit. It really was that I knew if I did get hit and fell down, I was going to get back up. That's what I knew. You know, I knew that, right? 
and and so that is kind of it's almost been a string that has ran through my life. Oh, lots of times I have been knocked down out for the count, whether it was of my marriage that failed, you know, and left me in all kinds of debt. And I'm looking around like, how am I ever going to pull myself up out of this? You know, um, or it was, you know, a job that, you know, moved away and I had to go figure out, was I going to find another job or was I going to go back to school full time and get my degree? Which one was I going to do? You know, so, you know, and and then lately the, the latest was the breast cancer diagnosis, you know? So I think for me, it's probably more of getting back up. Yep. Everybody's going to, you know, have things that are going to be obstacles, but how are you going to deal with that obstacle? (laughs) I think about one of my friends at work. I went into her office to tell her I had breast cancer. She's somebody that I've worked with. I worked with Kim, two jobs ago, 25 years, and we're friends. Mm -hmm. And I went into her office and um, I walked in. I said, hey, can I shut the door? She said, yeah. And I shut the door and I said, listen, you know, I got some really bad news. Something's, you know, horrible is happening. She says, what? I said, you know, and and this was last year. You know, I said, you know, and this was before I'd went through chemo. I just kind of found out. I said, you know, I, I just found out that I had breast cancer, Kim. And she's, she looks, has this horrified look on her face. And then I start telling her about the diagnosis and how I found the lump and what they said. And, and she stopped me and she said, Maria, I said, yeah. She said, you know, you're talking about this like you're talking about somebody else, right? Like, it's not you you're talking about. I said, okay. I said, you know, Kim, in this whole thing, I just want to be a better person and see what I'm going to learn from it. And she's looking at me like I have lost my mind. She says, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I really am serious. So for me, it is no matter what that obstacle is, I am still trying to to learn something from it. And in my mind, I'm always going to get back up and I'm going to get back up better. I remember, since you're saying that, I remember when you had your son, who's probably in his... Still there, Diana? No, I can It's a, it's um muffled. Can you hear me now? I can. Um, when I, I remember, it, so, you know, I never had children, but I asked about labor, and I remember that oh, you know, it was it was very painful, but I felt like I should be free of this type of pain because it was a, it was a different type of pain, but I was excited to hear it. I don't know. I don't know if I told you that story and I don't know if you can hear him. I don't know what our, our audio sounds like, but I can I can hear you, but it's kind of uh, uh, muffled. Oh, okay. Let me that's, that's better. Can you hear me better now? That's better. <laughs> and I went on my just oh. Hello? I can hear okay. you. So I remember you telling me about David and giving birth to him. 
So maybe. Oh, you. Go ahead, Diane. So I, so I was thinking maybe that's how you deal with pain and that you know you're going to get through it. And so you put it outside of yourself. And so if I embrace it, it's going to be hard to to get through it. But if I put it outside of myself and know that I can get above it, I can make it. You know, when, when I think about that, what I learned from that, and maybe this is carrying over, is that I was 19 when I had David. And it was so painful. And I remember always excruciating pain. And there was all these women around me that were older women, and they were screaming. And I didn't know any better. So I said, oh, 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 wait a minute. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. If I scream, it will help the pain. So I said, that's it. When I get a pain, I'm going to scream. Okay, I get the pain. And I start screaming. I thought, oh, that is so stupid. That is crazy. That doesn't help. That hurts. That uses all your energy. What are they doing? That's ridiculous. I'm like, that's just theatrics. I said, no, you're supposed to take in the pain, endure the pain, and that helps you get through the pain. So maybe I've done that my whole life. Just, you know, suck it up. Wow. You know? <laughs> wow. Well, since, since we're talking about pain, um, in 2010, I was in a horrible car accident. And um, wow. and I spent... A- Tell us about that. Tell us about the experience and what happened and what, what, you, what you went well, through. Well, uh, I left home March... First, 2010, a friend of mine who I grew up with in Danville, I, I tell people we know each other so long that our grandmothers were friends. It's really my great-grandmother and her grandmother, but they had been friends. So we've been, it's, we have a history. And so we were really uh, going through something because it was the height of the economic downfall in America. She worked for a small uh, company and I worked for a small company. And uh, her, it was February, it was March 1st. And she said her boss and her, the owner of her company hadn't paid her since February the 1st. Now it's March 1st. And, mm-hmm. and my okay. uh, owner of my the small company that I work with, he told us that American Express may have, may stop his credit line, line of credit. So he can pay us this month, but we got to make sure, you know, he got to work on next month. And I was like, so I said, I called her and we were discussing our um, dilemmas, our financial crisis. And she said, you know, when most time when you mm-hmm. get in crisis, we go eat. So, so let's go eat. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to our favorite sushi, uh, Asian buffet. And and I was telling her, maybe we should not be depending all of our, um, you know, eggs in a bucket. And because um, we're like in our mid-50s now. And, you know, it's going to be hard just to go out and get a job like you're 25 or 30. And so, um, right. so we said, maybe we should be doing our own thing. And both of us, her background is in public relations and mine in marketing and sales. I said, maybe we should be thinking about what we should do on our own to, you know, if this, if the jobs work out, wonderful. If not, we need to supplement our income. And so um, at the same time, I called another a friend of mine, a male friend of mine, and asked him to join us. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. And so uh, it was getting closer to the time that we were meeting. So she called me and said, Diane, um, uh, I'm out front. And I said, okay, I'm waiting on my friend to call. So he called right when I was saying he hasn't, you know, responded. He said, no, I'm not going to go. I'm working on a proposal. Why don't you all go? So, so mm-hmm. we, um, so I have a, uh, I had a Ford, um, not a Chevrolet four door pickup truck. So uh, since my friend wasn't going, we decided 
that we'll just take her uh, convertible two-seater Mazda Miata. And so, because she's already mm-hmm. out there, all I got to do is jump in the car. And so we left and went to dinner and we probably talked about business and we talked about everything. And on the way out, I told her, my brother is um, going to, he's coming out the hospital tomorrow. He had a knee replacement. I need to get some toilet paper. I need to have things in place so I can, because I'm working from home. I just need a lot. So drop on the way home, let's stop, drop me off at the store and Target so I can get some toilet paper and get ready for to, to deal with my brother's illness for the next few weeks. So she did. Mm-hmm. So I came back with this gigantic thing of toilet paper and she was like, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? She said, I'm a, we in a monster. I don't have any room in this car. And I, everything is, you know, I've shopped a lot. So I, yeah. I said, girl, shut up. I'll hold it. It's not, we're only like six or seven miles from the house. And so she said, fine. So on the way home, I remember, only thing I remember, we were just talking as friends. And all of a sudden, this guy was, felt like he was chasing us on the highway. And and we mm-hmm. weren't chasing him or involved with him, but it felt like we couldn't get away from him. And he just ran into us head on. And the next thing I remember is that it felt like a million mosquitoes or bees had bitten me all at the same time. And and I smelled mm-hmm. gas and oil and I smelled like dirt. And it felt like uh, I was sitting outside and it felt like mm-hmm. I was in deep trouble. And... um the next thing I remember, somebody asked me, was I okay? And I said, I don't think so. And so um, the next thing I remember, I felt like I was choking to death. And this woman, who I think was a nurse or a doctor, told me that um, she, I told her I'm choking or something. So she removed the thing from my face or whatever was choking me. And, uh, and it still felt like it was around my neck. And so she said, mm-hmm. do you believe you're going to live? And so I said, yes. And she said, well, say it four times. And I said, I believe I'm going to live. 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 And then she said, remember that you're going to live. And when, when you make it through, one day I want you to walk into this emergency room and tell me how you made it through. And my name is, wow. and my name is, I don't remember. She gave me her name. She said, remember my name, but I did remember. And then she said, um, you are going to um, go with, you're going to, um, a helicopter is on its way to take you to shock trauma, but your friend is going to stay with us. And that, in that minute, I had forgotten about that I was with Michelle. She reminded me, I said, oh. And so, and so oh. then, um, because I sold pharmaceuticals for a long time in Maryland, I knew shock trauma is the place. Anytime you're in trauma, you're close to death. And even time you're in shock and trauma, that's not a good thing. And I had actually called wow. <laughs> and I had actually called on that section of the hospital shock trauma because we sold a, a product for trauma. I mean, for shock, it's called solumedrol. It's a drug that keeps people from going in anaphylactic shock. And so I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm in deep trouble if I'm going to shock trauma. And so um, the next thing I remember is being outside and I could hear the helicopter and the helicopter. When I got in the helicopter, the guys in the helicopter, they was trying to small talk with me. And and I remember mm-hmm. I didn't want to small talk with them because I had watched enough Westerns on television as a kid that when they when people get shot and they start a small talking, they fade away and die. So I <laughs> 
Oh, why yeah. did you think that? <laughs> so I was thinking they were asking me, have I been in a helicopter before? How was my, you know, you know, we're going to take care of you. Have you been to Baltimore? And then I was thinking, why is it taking so long to get there? There's a helicopter, you know, like, I don't feel like talking. And then hurry up. And so, but I was thinking those things. I don't know what I was saying out loud, but I was thinking those things. And the next okay. thing I remember that this nurse was in my face, in my, you know, like right at my ear in my face. And she said, well, you are, you can't talk. You can't walk. You have a tube in your mouth and your family and your friends are there. And uh, don't panic because you are not, we have machines that's doing a lot of things for you, but don't panic when you see them and realize that you can't do any of those things. Um, because you're not oh, going to be wow. like this permanently. And so we're getting ready to take you out there. So just don't panic. And so when I went out there, I saw, you know, my family, my brother was in a wheelchair. I remember he had at the knee operation. And um, right. I saw my friends and family and old church members. And everybody was really kind of solemn. You know, they didn't have any expression. My cousin's husband looked at me like, I was a project, you know, like, oh, she's going to be, she, I think she can do this, you know, uh-huh, and uh-huh. somebody else, uh, one of my friend's mothers, who could have been my mother, but she's a friend of mine, she looked at me with so much sorrow and hurt and pain and just really a Lord have mercy that she was just getting ready to weep, and I kept looking at her, and, she, and I started crying when I looked at her, and she's I, we couldn't, I couldn't speak to her and she wasn't physically or verbally speaking to me. And she said to me, Diane, if you keep, if you're going to cry, I'm going to cry and I'm not going to stay if you're going to cry. I'm going to leave you. And so I was thinking, okay, so it is that bad that she can't even stay because she's, mm-hmm. okay. so then, then the next thing I remember is um, just in the room and I was so uncomfortable and I was so uncomfortable. I didn't think I could do this. I, no, I was so uncomfortable. And so I asked, but I wasn't in pain. I was uncomfortable. So I asked God to make me comfortable. And so Ooh, okay. I found out why I was uncomfortable. One of my friends told me that because I was broken, over 70 bones broken or fractured from my neck to my feet, that they had worked on some parts of my body. So they had me elevated off the bed they had me in traction off the bed because they said once your body hits the bed it'll start healing so they had some parts of my body off of the bed and and then some my neck was healed so they had my neck but my neck had been operated so they had my neck on the bed so I was in a really bad situation uncomfortable I was was in an uncomfortable situation so I said well God can you make me comfortable and he said for years I've been asking you to come closer and you won't come closer. And so I said, well, I consider you a man and I live with my brother right now and I love him, but I'm not, I don't think I'm that close to him. And I said, I was married. I love my husband, but I wasn't close to him. And I was, I, look, I grew up in a house with her father, but I loved him, but I'm not close. And I don't know, maybe I don't know how to be close. And so at that moment, mm-hmm. he took me and, um, me, I was like a kid, like a baby, like 18 months, like a, I could stand up and God was like standing beside me, me sitting in a chair. He picked me up 
and put me in his arms and comfort like a baby. I was like a baby. And 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 God wow. had this all these pockets on his garment. And some people were in the pocket. And so he took me and put me in one of the pockets. And so when oh, I woke wow. up, you know, every time I thought I couldn't make it, I remember mm-hmm. that I was in God's pocket. And so um so I was in the hospital mm-hmm. over um 200 days, 220 days. I went in May 1st, I mean, March 1st, and I came on October 14th. So when you were talking about pain, there's some other things that happened um, in between those dates. But mm-hmm. when you was talking about pain, everybody, when I came out the hospital, everybody kept telling me, you know, oh, even when I was in there, Don, you need to write a book of some of the things you're telling me that has happened to you. And I said, mm-hmm. so what would I write mm-hmm. about? And so when I came out the hospital, um, I tried I tried to write the book in the hospital and I tried it to write it out. But one day I went to a, a clinic, uh, a shock trauma clinic visit. And um, and I told my friend, the uh, Tish, who was a friend of mine who worked at the hospital, but also was one of my caregivers, too. She asked her, I'm going to leave the clinic, meet me at the clinic because she worked at the hospital. And um, and I want you to take me on the floors that for the people take so I can thank them for taking care of me. And she said, after that, I want you mm-hmm. to go to my office because people in my office pray for you. And I said, okay. So I went over there, and, and this is how I got the idea for the book. So one of the ladies said, oh, I'm finally glad to meet you. I said, oh, great. So um, so she said, well, tell me, like you said, tell me about what happened. And I said, well, one of the things my family tells me and my friends tell me that when I was in the helicopter, or even in the emergency room, especially when I took me out the helicopter, that they believed that I was going to, the nurses and the doctors was just amazed because I was singing and praying when they took me off the helicopter and they was just trying to figure out how could she do this and so she said do you remember singing wow. and praying I said no and so she said that your spirit knew to sing and I was thinking wow so my spirit is is stronger than me it's wow. better than me because the Diane is weak wow. and wanted to die and so I can't do this but my spirit said okay right. we're doing this and so <laughs> And this is what you need to do to make it through so, this. So I wrote about, um, I had um, one of my friends uh, who's an attorney, but she uh, knew this woman who um, worked at Howard University School of Medicine. And she was ch- charged of this program, so spirituality and medicine at the School of Medicine. So I've gone to some of her uh, uh, conferences as well, some of her banquets. And they talked about um, the spirit that you, when you heal people, you need to heal the body, mind, and spirit, not just heal the body, but are we, what are we doing about the spirit? So I said, oh, so I started just researching right. about the spirit because my spirit kept me alive. My spirit made me um, go through all that pain and operations and all the hospital stay. And I said, so my spirit is different than me. So I started mm-hmm. researching the spirit more. Right. So, one of the things I came up with, there's spiritual assessments for patients in the hospital, but I've never been to a doctor's office or in the hospital and I was given a spiritual assessment. And so I was, I, when I was reading, I right. was admonishing, and even in my book, admonish doctors. If you've got a patient who is broken and sick in the hospital, not just heal the physical body, but marry of the, the spiritual community with the physical healing community and let's begin to heal the whole person and there's a lot of data and research and centers out there that talks about this and so but I just I took it from um, wow. 
from a um, from a patient's point of view and a spiritual person's point of view that mm-hmm. we ask you when you go to the doctor's office most time or in the hospital they ask you from zero to ten what's your pain score but they never ask you from zero mm-hmm. to ten how is your spirit and do you think you can do this and what can and who can we partner you right. with or what can we send you you know like they if you go if you your foot is hurting they send you to podiatrists if you have a neuropathy they send you to a neurologist but if you are struggling spiritually, most of them mm-hmm. send you to a psychiatrist, a sociologist. But they also need to marry us to the spiritual community, you know, the priests and the, the fathers and the yeah. reverence, whatever your, you know, your, or the Buddhist, whoever your inclination is or what you think you need. Because I believe when the spirit, my spirit saved my life. Right, right. By, by knowing yeah. what to do and, and doing so, it. It, it went to work, <laughs> and so, and so that is amazing. So that's what amazing. I, um, so that's what. Uh, so that's what's my experience. When you talked about, you know, being that, you know, you were saying that, um, and I think that again, I said, you know, we're not play cousins; we're real cousins. Because with your cancer, you said, okay, so what do my spirit, or what do I supposed to be? Not your physical body, because, but what does my spirit right. to get from this? You know, what am I supposed to, how can I be spiritually right. better? How can I show up better to other people and to myself and to my family going through this process? And I think that when you ask those questions exactly. of the body, now the body can realize, okay, now we're really going to heal. Are we going to get better? You know, um, we're going to find out what's really going on. And, and I think that's, uh, we don't ask those questions enough because it's too hard. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, to it's hard work so um that's kind of a i've got it's something that you said i want to ask you about um because we're right at like the 37 minute mark but i do want to ask you this based on what you just said you said when you were going through that you Mm -hmm. were in god's pocket do you feel like you're well, still in um, God's One pocket? day, it was about a year or two ago, I was went for a walk and I live near I live in Washington, DC near RFK Stadium near Anacostia River. So one day I was like, let me get out of this house and go for a walk. So I was walking down this path and when I was a bench and the bench had a big in front of a big uh, compass, you know, it was northeast DC with different southeast, southwest. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even know this was here and only like five minutes from my house walking distance. And I was sitting on this bench. And when, when I was sitting on this mm-hmm. bench, I was like, oh, my God, I'm sitting on a bench where like a homeless person sits because it was a blanket. It's just like I was in somebody's space. And I was like, let let me leave. Because oh. I'm like sitting. First of all, I was kind of secluded in the, you know, with woods and stuff. And I said, let me get up and leave because I don't want to be attacked by a homeless person or anything. And so when I was getting ready to leave, God said, relax. Mm-hmm. My spirit said, relax. Because, Diane, you're still in my pocket. I never took you out. Wow. And so you're <laughs> not here by accident. He said, you now, what you were trying to do most of your life is take me where you wanted me to go and pray that I be there when you get there or pray that I get this job, this whatever. But now you in my pocket. You go where I go. And so he's never, wow. and every now and then I remind myself when I have more aches and pains or mm-hmm. stuff that I've, so what's going on with my body now? 
God, I always remember, I said, oh, God, I forgot I'm in your pocket. So whatever happens, I'm still with you. That wonderful. That is wonderful. So I'm still there, Marie, because he knows I'm too weak to leave, you know. Amen. I mean, that's the best Amen. place to be. So, and thank you, God, for putting me in your pocket. So, yes. so I, I think, Diane, we're right yes. at the 40-minute mark. And I think what we've agreed to is that we'll do this once a week, right, right around this time on Sundays. And, you know, so this was our first episode. I've enjoyed the yes. conversation. You know, we can talk for hours. <laughs> So I may have to call you back and continue the conversation. But uh, hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it too. And then whoever listens to this, that they enjoy it. And um, and that will be yes, dropping well, more knowledge each week. I think week. that um, we had to kind of outline how we wanted to go. But because we were dropping knowledge, uh, we don't know. It's like rain. You know, it falls on the just and the unjust. And it flows on the ground as well as the street. So I know you said something that was so profound, but oh, I couldn't okay. hear it. It was muffled. Um, I was saying that. Yeah, so I was saying. We're talking about the rain. That in, in life, if the, uh, the word says that God reigns on the just and the unjust, on the unjust. So whatever we have said, you have said in your dropping knowledge of dealing with pain or putting it pain outside of you and figuring out how you can get through it or me actually um, dealing with my pain in that uh, collision, that what we have said will help somebody get through their pain and their struggles or their, you know, can I get through this? And we're saying through this podcast from dropping our knowledge or nuggets, yes, you can. You can do it. Just believe you can and that the spirit is with you. So, well, thank you too. I thank you too. Absolutely. Wonderful, and we'll keep Oops. going. Can't wait to next week and see what knowledge okay. we out there. And uh, we'll um, hopefully we uh, people will hear us and um, can keep going through this uh, this crisis that we're in now in our country and in the, and in the uh, on the globe. Absolutely. Right. Bye bye. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.